Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with Ted Lowe. Ted is a, a leader, thought leader, speaker, just all around engaging con- conversationalist is what I would uh, classify him as, but has recently just published a book, uh, Us in Mind, How Changing Your Thoughts Can Change Your Marriage. Just a fascinating insight into what's going on into in our minds. He's done a lot of research, examining research that's been done. He, As you would get through the podcast, he's very honest and open and transparent uh, about what he's learned through his journey. Just an exciting, I, I just found him very, very fascinating. I guess uh, I'm a nerd. I like uh, scientific research. I love that he's engaged that. I love that he's willing to be open and honest and transparent and allow us to gain insight from what he's learned uh, in his own life and then what he's learned from the research. And so we'll put the links to his book in the show notes, but just a, a phenomenal insight and uh, reading. I, I love his his desire to pr- produce resources about marriage that maybe, you know, sometimes people don't want to read marriage resources, but he's produced one, I think, has has his wit, and um, it's very, very engaging and, and so appreciative of that. We talk about empathy. He gives us a great tool on how we can engage in, in conversation more with, with empathy. He talks about using the phrase, that's understandable, rather than trying to, to negate emotions, engage with emotions, but just to say that's understandable and be able to sit with someone, not trying to solve it, but just a fascinating insight for me. He, he talks about getting the Fred out of our head, um, and you'll have to listen into the podcast for that. But just like I said, you won't be disappointed. Do want to encourage you to continue to send in your questions for Back Channel with Foth. That's where we sit down with Dick Foth and gain, gain knowledge, um, gain insight from him. And uh, Dick's always fun to sit down with. He's, he's once again, he's an also a great conversationalist, just someone fun to learn and engage with. And so people send in questions. My email's in the, in the show notes. I curate those, put those together, and then we, we tie those to an episode that has very similar subject matter. Sometimes it takes people's questions a long time to get answered, sometimes short, depending on what the uh, lineup is for the podcast. But do want you to ask you to continue to send in those questions for, for Back Channel with Foth. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here. Here we go. Greetings. Welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have a new friend of the podcast, Ted Lowe. Ted, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me here and I appreciate it. Ted, I'm so excited just to have this conversation this evening. My my time, Nairobi, your your afternoon um, on the East Coast, but uh, just a topic that I'm passionate about, and just to hear your passion about it, also just the subject of marriage. So, Ted, will you go just maybe just share a little bit about yourself before we jump into some of the questions I have for you? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been married to Nancy Lowe since uh, 1995, so that's 27 years now. We have four kids ranging in ages from 12 to 22. So I'm really here on the stealth mission for prayer. Um, <laughs> wow. There's a lot of people that need a lot of things from me. And uh, I'm not mature enough to give it, meet all those needs. But uh, yeah, I've been working in the marriage ministry space, um, been in ministry ever since getting out of college, worked at a couple of different churches, and then um, now I work for an organization that resources churches called Orange, and we create resources for marriages. And I speak and write 
Uh, and it's been solid focus, just sole focus on marriage since 2001. So for whatever reason, I feel like marriage is my thing. So yeah, very cool. Yep. Where were you born and raised at? So I, I'm born and raised uh, in a little town called Center, Alabama. So it's about two hours, very, very full two hours west of um, of Atlanta. Yeah. So the two worlds could not be. That's where we live in Atlanta now. So the two worlds are very different. Yeah. You a Crimson Tide fan or are you a Georgia fan or not into sports? That hurts my feelings that you would <laughs> think that I was a Crimson Tide fan. Uh, <laughs> I do know... I hope you don't have a lot of people listen from Alabama because if I, when I speak it in Alabama, I never tell people that I'm a Christian and then I'm from Auburn. So, um, <laughs> no, 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 it's funny. I mean, like it, it's not funny there. I grew up there yeah. and like, there's, there's no teas in there. I, I never reveal to people in Alabama what side I'm from because you will alienate your audience immediately. But no, I grew <laughs> up, uh, my uncle, uh, went to Auburn, uh, was one of my heroes. So I just followed suit and it was, you know, yeah, opposite of my brother, and my dad. So yeah. there we go. War Eagle. Well, you know, uh, Nick Saban is uh, West Virginia. He's a, uh, the coach Alabama that tied. So I'm a West Virginia boy. So at least claim him when he's winning. Um, we've we've all had dreams that he was going to come back to West Virginia and take us to glory. Uh, at least <laughs> at least to the college football playoffs. We we I don't think he's coming back, and um, I don't think we're going to be in glory when it comes to football. So anyway, just a uh, just a fun way fun fun way to start off the podcast. Um, so can you share? You, you said you were involved in ministry and. And then you said, you know, for the last uh, umpteen years, you've been specifically focusing on marriage and then marriedpeople.org. Could you just share a little bit about your the genesis of your passion for this, for marriage? And yeah, how you just got focused on this area? Yeah, so I was a youth pastor in Alabama. And then my wife and I got married and we worked at a church called Saddleback Church in California. And we were part of the marriage ministry there. I was part of the youth uh, department there, but we're part of the marriage ministry and then became part of the drama ministry. I don't know if you remember back in the nineties when churches yeah. would do skits, my <laughs> wife and I were saddleback Sam and Samantha. So two rednecks <laughs> from Alabama were doing most of the drama at saddleback for a season of time. So that was, that was fun. But churches would start to ask us, Hey, can you come do skits or at our church? And so that evolved into a full-time ministry and then we met a pastor named Andy Stanley here in Atlanta. Yeah. And um we were ready to get off the road and um he said, "What do you want to do?" And God had just placed it on my heart for like 2 years. He said, "I really want to pour into marriages." And at the time we'd only been married like 4 years. Hmm. And I remember him saying to me, "That's a great thing to want to do." Um <laughs> so I was like, "Okay, all right, but that evolved into a relationship where I came on staff uh, as the creative arts director, AKA, we don't know what to do with you. Uh, and then just after a few <laughs> months, he said, now tell me again about this marriage thing that you're wanting to start. And so he gave me a tremendous amount of freedom. At that point, we had been married about six years and he said, you know, North Point was is a large church here in Atlanta. And they just, he just gave me a lot of trust and a lot of freedom. And, and we really use marriage to reach out to the community uh, and we had marriage events six times a year. So this was back wow. when people would really attend events. So got really passionate about there. Had to speak four times a year. So that'll that'll keep you honest with your wife yeah. sitting on the front row. <laughs> <laughs> you know, going, mm, do you leave this out, buddy? You better live <laughs> live this out. And so um, so yeah, we started then and then church, a lot of church leaders were saying, Hey, 
it's great that you guys can do this with your great big budget and your great big staff. What do you have to help me? And I really didn't have a good answer for that. And so that kind of launched the vision of what's now marriedpeople.org. Then we create resources for churches, for couples too, but uh, mainly for churches to be able to implement their own marriage ministry. Because what we found is most churches don't have a marriage ministry yeah. uh, or anybody on staff or the resources, you know, zero budget, statistically zero budget. Most churches have it. So we try to be the marriage ministry team for those churches. So that's yeah. what we've been doing. And then in the middle of all this, I still do speaking and writing quite a bit. Uh, and that's that's kind of the fun ride part of this thing is getting yeah. to go in and do date night events and hopefully make people laugh. Um, sometimes I do that better than others, but, uh, and, and writing books and all that fun stuff. So yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot it's of good. fun. Just, I'm going to say, I'm going to go a little sideways before we go forward. You shared most churches, marriage is obviously vitally important, but you said there, there's not a budget for it and maybe not necessarily a focus. What are some of the reasons you think in the, is as Christians, we, we know the value of a healthy marriage. Do you think we just think it comes naturally and it's not something we want to focus? Is it uncomfortable? Yeah, just what's what's your wisdom and experience on that? Yeah, you know, this is this is speculation. Even though I've been doing this since 2010, working full time with churches, um, I think there is part of. I think marriage lives in this category. To use Stephen Covey's matrix, this marriage ministry is important, but it's not urgent. And so, mm. what is urgent is the budget. Sunday morning, children's ministries come in every week. Sunday comes sure. by really quick. Sure. And then COVID hit yeah. and it really pushed in that category. They were like, I've heard it called secondary ministry, auxiliary ministry. Someone said it's non-essential. And so I think there's, it's not staffing. I think part of it is cultural. I think mm. there was such a movement in the early 2000s about really creating phenomenal children's ministry as our culture became more and more kid uh kid focused. And sure. I think to be honest, I think the church followed suit. So, you know, you go to churches and you walk down the children's hall and it looks like Disney yeah. and then, Oh yeah, we don't have any money for budget, uh, any budget for marriage. And so I think also, I think sometimes it's really tough for a senior pastor to talk about his or her own marriage because maybe they're struggling and it's yeah. opening it wide up. You know, I think it wrote a stat of the day that 97% of churches are 200 and smaller. So that gets really vulnerable really yeah. quick. And you've also got tapped out leaders saying, oh, wow, that's adding one more thing. Yeah. Uh, and their plates are just so full. Um, but I, I do think there has to be a shift knowing the trajectory of where marriages are and just the impact that marriage has on kids. We all know it. Uh, but we're finding it out more and more and more through our organization that just did a massive study on parenting. And when they were asked... And they asked a group of parents, said, what could your parents have had in their lives that would have made them better parents? The number two answer was something to make their marriage better. Wow. So they knew. And then when we asked them, what kind of resource could we create that would help you with your kid's faith? The second answer there was marriage resources. So the wow. church, people in the church are tying that connection closer than I think church leaders think that it's really tied. Uh, and we're missing that importance of that. So, um, you know, yeah. I'm going to keep, I told my wife one day, I, said, I don't know if I'm stubborn about this or faithful. So I'm going <laughs> to choose, I'm going to choose faithful, but I'm still passionate about the church helping and pouring in and bringing church under the body and bringing yeah. it into the body. Yeah. And you mentioned it as you were sharing there that, you know, the state of marriages and you travel and you speak and you, you have a pulse, 
Um, what do you believe the state of marriages are? It's, you said, yeah. What do you think the state of marriages are? You know, it's funny. I just did a, a free ebook I can send you called The State of Marriage and What the Church Can Do About It. Yeah, there because you go. when when COVID hit, I, I'm a little bit of a research geek. Uh, I'm not a researcher, but I sure appreciate research. And so I thought, how is this going to impact marriages? Um, and at the time, obviously, at the beginning of COVID, there was no stats on what something that's just hit us has done. But so I looked at other stats. One of the fascinating ones was a stat from Hurricane Hugo. They did a study in Hurricane after Hurricane Hugo. And what they found was there were more divorces afterwards, but they hmm. also found that there were more weddings and more babies. And they get to the end of this very academic study and they said, the results seem to suggest that people make life-altering decisions once they've been faced with a life-threatening event. In other words, when big things happen, big things happen relationally. And I think Charles Duhigg speaks into this well when he talks about the power of habit. He says, our habits become emotional. I mean, our habits become flexible when things become emotional. So what happened was we had this really, all this talking about people's habits being flexible. Everything got flips up, up, down. So people's habits were forced to be flexible. Their emotions were on fire. And 58% of them, actually, 58% of couples in, in one study say, and, and 38% say after COVID, they're actually more distant. So for some, it drew them together. And for some, it pushed them apart. And so it's just depending on, where you land in that camp. So I think right now what I'm saying to church leaders is this is a very, you know, the cement is really wet again with marriages. Let's don't waste it. Yeah, for sure. You know, they're thinking about how can I do marriage differently? And so I think that's, that's the exciting news is, uh, and the news we need to be respectful of, and maybe even a little, um, I don't want to say scared of, but say, Hey, <laughs> we need to, we need to be pouring into these marriages as they're going through this stuff because it's mattering to them. It's not neutral at all. Yeah. Yeah. It cut out just for a second there. 58% are what I want filled in are drawing closer together and 38% are further apart. Or would you just repeat those, yeah. those statistics? One yeah. 58% of couples say that we're closer than okay. before COVID. 38% say that uh, they're more distant since COVID and the other percentages of people are just missing. We can't find them. I'm just kidding. That was my, that was my attempt to humor. <laughs> I thought, well, there you go. That's, there they we might go. just be missing. You never know. They might, or that might be the, the statistical anomalies in there. So are the outliers, but so your new book, I kind of, I think uh, uh, it's just very insightful for me. Um, nurse practitioner, scientist by background. I love research also. I love things that are based on research. Um, I love the research myself. And so it, that this part of it fascinates, fascinated me. Uh, Us in Mind is the title of the book, How Changing Your Thoughts Can Change Your Marriage. Um, can you share about the power, what you've learned in this book and what you present about the power of the mind and its impact on, on a marriage? You know, what was funny is during COVID, I had a little bit more time on my hands for some reason. My speaking <laughs> schedule all of a sudden slowed down. But there were a couple of questions that I had. It's kind of circled my brain as I'd worked with couples for two plus decades. And I thought, I'm going to really drill down and try to figure out the answers to those questions. What what's What's going on? Why is it that some couples can read a marriage book and apply what they learned and it changes their marriage while another couple reads the same book? And it doesn't. Why do some couples thrive and other couples just survive? And, but the main question I really poured into is, 
what makes a happy couple happy? Because for years, researchers would just focus on couples that were struggling. And then a group of researchers mm-hmm. went, well, wait a minute. What if a, a couple that's doing great is not the opposite of one that's struggling? What if it's like everything else on the planet? Like that's a great business is not the opposite of one that's struggling. So they did a massive study in the United States, the United Kingdom. They came back and they said our hunch was correct. It's not the opposite. It's different. And the one of the most fascinating studies that, I sh- that for me at least that I share in the book is when they studied happy couples, they gave all these couples a spousal report card and basically said, rank your spouse in things like generosity and character and kindness. And what they found, the only common denominator when the happiest couples were ones who had ranked their spouse higher in every category than their spouse had ranked themselves. Wow. So I thought... Oh, that's interesting. So I, I started thinking, I think how we think about our spouse will determine how we treat them. Hmm. And then as the neuroscience started becoming clear. Um, they did a study on couples who had a, a, a brain scan study on couples that had been married uh, on average of 21 years uh, that had reported being madly in love, which how do you love those words? So <laughs> <laughs> and they said they had similar brain activity in three areas of their brain. And one of them was the area that's responsible for a thing called positive illusions. And it's the ability to focus on what you love about your spouse and not focus on what you don't. Wow. And so I thought, I think thinking when it comes to our marriage, our thoughts matter most because they're not our actions or our approach, but they're the beginning of both, Right. And how we think about our spouse determines how we treat our spouse. And then I started getting into how, like, guiding thoughts and how a few guiding thoughts can really change so many things in our lives. And then I had this moment as a pastor going, Ted, are you drifting into some, you know, some weird waters over here, buddy? Like, it's just some juju you got going on. Like, what is, what is going on here, buddy? And then I started, scripture, what scripture, what does scripture have to say about thoughts? And then you go, how have I missed this for so long? You know, scripture is very clear that we're not to let our thoughts run on autopilot, that we are to mm. take every thought captive, that we are to test and approve. If this God's good, pleasing, and perfect will, God is very clear that we are to be very careful with our thinking. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in church and no one told me this. I mean, at youth yeah. group, they tell you to watch your thoughts, pure, you know, pure sexually, right. but that's nowhere near the the big tail of this whole thing, right? Sure. Like how powerful our thoughts, but no one's ever told me that. Uh, and then applying it to marriage, I thought, wow, the thing that common denominator with happy couples really is how they think first. Yeah. Uh, and no one's telling people that. And I thought, well, I get to tell them. And then let me tell you something. I didn't want to tell them. I did not want to write another book because I have ADHD. I've had it long since before it was cool to have it. <laughs> and I say writing a book for me is like lasso and squirrels and then <laughs> training them not to fidget. <laughs> Uh, so I was like, oh no, I think I'm supposed to do this. But, uh, but I thought most people don't know this and it's, it's really has, you know, even those neuroscience and different things, there's really, really simple applications that even people look at you going, can that really help? And you're going, yeah, it, it really can. So, um, yeah, I've been excited about that. I drove my wife and friends crazy about this. I found research. I mean, look at this, look at this. My poor wife. We've took more wives, more walks during COVID than our whole marriage combined. Most of those walks would involve me unpacking some kind of research, which, you know, God bless her. She just, that's, that's awesome, honey. That is awesome. You know, she said she's not a marriage expert. She's a marriage guinea pig. Yeah. She goes, because you're going to come home and try all this stuff out on me. So um, she's, your, she's put your, pretty put your cute. Put your research into practice. Yeah, good deal. Uh, abso- absolutely. 
So all that research, were there things that surprised you or maybe something you just thought this is this is very insightful as, as you did the research and, and looked at other people's research on marriage? Yeah, it really did. I mean, there was so much that I, it was a little bit like things that I had heard off and on. And then all of a sudden when I really started, you know, putting laser focus on the power of thought, it's kind of like all those things kind of came together. And then there was the newer, I get really geeked, geeked out on uh, the neuroscience of it all, just that it keeps pointing to the same things that marriage research. That's the great thing with doing what I do is scripture and science have no conflict whatsoever. So what wow. science reveals, it just reve- it just illuminates what, what God's been saying all along in terms of how we are to love each other. And I love that. And then the neuroscience has done the same thing. So I think one of the things that did surprise me the most was the power of empathy and how little that I knew about it and hmm. how bad I was at it. Um, I can't, you know, when you've just been focusing on marriage and talking about marriage for, you know, 20 years, I feel like I've talked to them about it on every topic or studied everything. And as I'm studying for the book, I keep saying empathy, empathy, empathy. And then I'm like, what is this empathy thing I keep reading about? <laughs> and then I realize, Oh, you haven't studied this cause you're really bad at it. Um, <laughs> you're really bad at it. And so, um, just really dove into the power of empathy and just how simple empathy is versus the opposite. And so that was one of the biggest surprises. And it's been one of the biggest ahas for people as I've taught this content live. It's just the power of some really simple, but profound empathy. So that was yeah. one of my favorite surprises. I would say that's the one that's impacted me the most personally. Yeah. Uh, and my wife would be too. I mean, we, she said to me one time, I don't want you to fix it. I want you to feel it. And I'm like, yeah that makes no sense. You know, uh, what? Yeah. Uh, and then you're like, Oh, research is backing her up yeah, uh, and yeah. not me. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, that, that was really fun. fun What's, ending. So what does empathy look like in a marriage? You know, there were so many different things and that is one of the things I wanted to do. I felt there's so many exercises and so many different things. And I think that the problem with a lot of this stuff that, that, that I find is I feel like it's stuff that even if it works, most couples are not going to do it. It's mm. awkward. It was awkward. It was uncomfortable. It felt forced. And so I just boil it down to, you know, a couple of little things is rejoice with those, rejoice and cry with those, cry. One of the things I loved to found about empathy was um, that it's just as important that we celebrate with them as it is we're that with them during the tough stuff. Uh, one study says that how more predictive of a strong relationship than how they fight. So there's hmm. this really huge emphasis that we just need to rejoice with each other. If our if our spouse smiles, you you smile back. You know, yeah. how many times do they get excited about something that we don't understand and we roll our eyes or we go, oh gosh, it's Christmas again. You know, I'm going to risk paralysis putting lights on the house. You know, this is not cool. Why do we need 12 trees? And so uh, <laughs> instead of like you're going, for whatever reason, that sparks joy for her or that sparks joy for him and just to smile and add to that. I think that's really important. And then I just divide it into three things. Just, I see you, I get you, I got you. Hmm. And, you know, our spouse needs to be seen literally and figuratively. And this is some of the research that I loved, um, that when our spouse is emotional, especially about something that's uncomfortable, even even when they're excited, put your phone down and look, look at their eyes and look at their face. And what it does, it produces empathy in you for them. The eye Hmm. contact actually produces empathy. So it's like, see them. And, you know, we're so on our phones and we're so yeah. distracted to really pause and spouse and give them eye contact is quite profound. If, you know, I know a lot of, 
you, you guys know this already, you know, you've got people all over the world, but still, here in the States, people are, are on their phones at restaurants. And if you're not on your phone, you're on the 12 TVs that are around the restaurant. So I say, I see you. The other part is I get you. It's really identifying, like, you know, you're really frustrated at work right now, or you're really upset that the kids are, are, are moving off to college. Uh, or you're feeling really overwhelmed. And it's just it's just identifying that emotion. You don't have to fix that emotion. In fact, don't. But when you identify it, it actually brings them back to the more logical part of their brain, which is where you want them to go, right? Mm-hmm. And what that was the other thing that blew me away with the research is when our spouse is emotional and we're trying to use advice and we're trying to fix them, we're the frontal lobe, which is where their logic is, is greatly offline. And so we're trying to get into a door that's shut. And what's fascinating, what brings people back to the logical part of their brains that they need to when they're over-emotional is empathy. It actually unlocks it again. And I thought, it's not logic that leads yeah. to logic. It's um, You know, and who was the most empathetic man that ever walked the face of the earth? It right. was Jesus. You know, yeah. I get fascinated with... Uh, you know, we've always heard Jesus wept, you know, we've got a lot of preachers, kids and missionary kids here, you know, we <laughs> memorized Jesus wept because it was the shortest verse. Sure. But you think about the context of that was, you know, Martha has called for Jesus, please come, you know, I'm, the one you love is sick. Lazarus is sick. Yeah. Please, please come. Well, we know he doesn't come in time and our mind doesn't come in time. And he sees them. And they're weeping. And she's like, where were you? And he knew that what was about to happen. Like he knew he was about to fix it. And in my very male brain, I would want to go, no, 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 don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. I, I can fix this. I'm about to fix this. But instead he wept with them first. Wow, that the good. need for empathy was more what their heart was craving than even for them to fix the situation. And so empathy is just that thing that uh, we do. And the last one is I got you like that. Our spouse needs to know we've got their back. Like, what is that thing that you can do to kind of relieve some emotional stress sometimes? You know, stop doing, start doing. What is it that you're doing that's bringing emotional distress that you can stop, stop doing? And just, but I just say, I see you, I get you, and I got you. Um, But most of the time, it's just being present and looking at them. And you mimic their face. Don't mock their face. But if you mimic their face, it actually kicks in mirror and neurons that brings them to that logical place as well. So it's just the thing that, you know, scripture has been telling us to do, Paul's been telling us to do all along. It just, and then you see the brain research and you're like, oh, because when I was first doing this book, I was like, oh, people are not going to be geeked out about this as much as I am. Uh, but then I thought, man, and they're going to be confusing with this. What scripture does, it's, all, it's so much great with the application. I feel like neuroscience, yeah. it's here's the situation. Sure. And scripture quickly goes, here's the application. Yeah, it's good. And, and I, I just love that. Yeah, it's, it's very insightful. I just want to pause for 30 seconds in the middle of this episode to share some exciting news about the book I published, A Caring Life, How Each of Us Can Change the Trajectory of an Uncaring World. It's available now on Amazon and audiobook, Kindle, and print form. And the book helps us recognize that our world is moving in a direction of an uncaring life and helps us reorient towards a caring life where those that are in our life feel valued, they feel known, they know that they belong, and they matter. The book, as I said, is, is a valuable resource and I believe will help change the trajectory of an uncaring world. It's available now on Amazon.
For sure. Your sense of humor. I'm going to pause here in the middle of my questions. Your sense of humor. Has, is that something you've always had? Is that something you've developed? And how the, yeah, because you have a natural sense of humor and you're very quick witted. Is that something you've developed or just who you are? Oh, if my elementary school teachers could hear you now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I used to get report, my all my report cards. This is before ADHD was a thing. All my report cards would have um, talks too much and inclined to mischief. So that was the <laughs> 80s definition of ADHD. He talks too much and he's inclined to mischief. So I don't know. I come from, it's very funny. My mom's side of the family is a hot mess, but they're funny. Yeah. My dad's side is very, very serious. So okay. I got more of my mom's side. Uh, things are, yeah, I, humor is one of my favorite things. It's just, I don't know. I think things are funny. I see yeah. things and I, th I think they're, I think we're all hilarious and marriage has given me lots of material. I'm sure it has. And you're, um, you're you have, you have that quick wit too. And uh, well, it, it sneaks up and catches you. So it's, well, it's, and uh, it's gotten me in trouble back in the day. So I like that now that it's like feeding my family. So I'm that's, sure, worked, that's worked uh, out. I'm sure, I'm sure it did get you in a little bit of trouble. So in the book, you give five intentional thoughts about marriage. Um, could you just pick a few that you think are, are, are super important or ones that you love? To, uh, you probably love all five of them. I'm not, it's like trying to pick which, which one of your kids is your favorite. I'm not asking that, but maybe just pick a few that you just like to unpack for us. Yeah. So I would say the intentional thought that I gave with the one with empathy is just choose empathy. So I would, you know, okay. very impact that, but just in those times, especially when you're frustrated with your spouse's emotions, you don't get it. Just choose an empathy. The other one that has been so surprisingly, it, it let me, let me start again. The first one in the chapter, I talk about it. What do you think about yourself? Hmm. And I, I, I kind of struggled with this chapter because I thought, how does it tie to marriage? Um, but I talk about, what do you think about yourself? And I called uh, my negative thoughts inside my head. I call him Fred in my head. And <laughs> Fred in my head has been pretty much, to use a kind word, a jerk to me most of my life. And will <laughs> say things and will label, label me, will shame me, will do all the things and the problem with Fred is Fred starts to become louder than the voice of God many times. So I, I talked about that. And so if I've got a Fred on the way home from work telling me that, you know, hey, I could tell so-and-so doesn't like you, or I could tell that they didn't like that presentation, or man, this is not going to go well. And then I walk into the house. Who do you think my wife's experiencing? You know, it's yeah. no different than if I had ridden home with somebody that was just a jerk to me all the way home. It's going to impact us. And so what I've learned is I've taught this. It's so many people come up to me. Oh my gosh, I've got a Fred. And mm. one of the, and so there's an exercise in the book that's been, and I've done my own twist on it, but there's an exercise in the book about how to deal with Fred's and the things he says to you that's been proven for 30 years, but nobody knows about. And it's mm. really simple. So one of the things that has just so resonated with people is this idea of Fred in your head. And are you listening to the voice of Fred? Or are you listening to the voice of God? Because it's got to break God's heart that we're listening to a voice that's mean and hateful and hurtful more than we're listening to him who loved us. So yeah. um, the intentional thought there, remember who I am. I need to remember who I am. Like, you know, when I'm saying, oh, you're an idiot. You really messed up that interview with Aaron, you idiot. And I'll be like, you know what? Uh, I don't think Abba would talk to me like that. In fact, yeah. I know Abba wouldn't talk to me like that. So that's been really, um, I've loved watching people to go, hey, let's remember who we are. We're children of God, married to children of God. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, 
oh, I can sit still. I can, I can be present. I can be loving. I can trust. I, I'm not trying to play the role of God by battling Fred or with him all the time. So that's been a really fun one, uh, but powerful, like yeah. watching people really resonate with that. You said it's been around for 30 years and most people don't know about it. Is it something you found in research or is that just something you've, yeah. Yep. It was, um, it was, I, I can't remember who started it, but, uh, Daniel Amons popularized it in the nineties. It's called ants therapy, automatic negative thoughts. Um, and it's so simple. You write down those thoughts, you categorize them because it turns out that Fred has a lots of side hustles. So Fred's, you know, Fred's a mind reader. Fred's a mind reader. Fred's a fortune teller. Yeah. He's a labeler. He's a shamer. He's a guilter. He's an influencer. And so you write down those thoughts and you go, what's he using? My Fred tends to be a mind reader and a fortune teller. Hmm. Um, and then, and then you write, this is the part that I added to it. You typically in the ants, therapy you just you talk back to it as yourself i'm encouraging people go what would abba say back here yeah you know and that people go well that's dangerous how would god say well use scripture but i think we can know that we're not being heretical if we can say you know how would he talk to me because he tells us he talks to us like a loving heavenly father so i think just those i mean i I, just when i think i've got this lick though I, i mean i had to you know, Monday, I sit down and I was like, I don't think Fred's been as loud. And I went, mm, I think he said a few things. Next thing I know, I've listed 10 things. Um, so it is a continual thing, but it does get better, especially since it was something that um, had been such a part of my life. Yeah. Um, and I tell people, if it can work for me, it can work for, for anybody. Because um, I shared in the book, I've struggled with anxiety um, mm. most of my life. And um, during COVID, I did a brain scan with Daniel Amen at Amen Clinic. Okay. And they basically take a look at your brain and then they say, okay, instead of us just throwing things at you, we're going to, we're going to look at, I mean, you can appreciate this being in medicine, you know, the brain's the only thing we treat, like, you know, we're still treating psychiatrists are still treating, you know, people like they did Abraham Lincoln, tell me your symptoms and then I'm going to give you medication. And so, and that's probably, I probably shouldn't have said that, but uh, see, that'll be the thing, Fred. (laughs) Fred, you shouldn't have said that about <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Don't be okay. But, it, but nonetheless, you can choose to edit if you like. But uh, but what Abens does is they look at your brain and then they have, then they do a program from there. And so I remember they looked at my brain scan. He said, "You see those two areas there? They're they're lit up with white hot blood flow." I said, hmm. "Yeah." He goes, "That's where ruminating negative thoughts are." And then I had ruminating negative thoughts about having ruminating negative <laughs> thoughts. And I'm really glad that we had record pressed it because it was a Zoom call because I, I checked out for a little bit because it was like, oh, wow. Um, and that was hard to see. Yeah. But I would say when I look at my brain scans, I should not have the peace that I have. Yeah. Uh, and I don't have it always. And it is a challenge. Like I said, earlier this week, I was challenged. But for the most part, I think, oh, wow, this really changes people's brain, um, you know, on, on lots of deep levels that scripture still matters. You know, yeah. who Jesus says you are st- still matters because, and this is something I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about with my kids. I love it that we're talking about mental health more. I love it. I love hmm. it that people can talk about their anxiety. I love it then talking about their depression. Hmm. But I think with acceptance of that has come surrender. That pe- A lot of people are like... Oh, I've, I've got anxiety. I've got depression. And all of a sudden I'm like, Hey, where's, where's Jesus speaking into this? Yeah. 
like he still matters. He still has the final word. Spending time with him still soothes your soul. Yeah. So I just think we have to be careful as we're talking about mental health that we don't belittle uh, a tight relationship with Jesus. Now, yeah. I see a counselor. I see a doctor. I do all the things. But I will say all day long, the number one thing that helps me with ruminating negative thoughts is my walk with Jesus. That's good. Which That's good. Yeah. You know, which is closer sometimes than others. Yeah. Of the of the things you discovered in the book, um, you talked about empathy and the, and and Fred was there. Is there something that you've practically put into application in your own marriage from the research and from the book, or something that kind of just stood out from you? Yeah, I, I think so. I'm trying with um, so say relationally, and I'll keep coming back to the empathy thing since people have the most context. Yeah. Um, so there's a line that we use at our house a lot now since I've learned these new skills. It's got, it's that's understandable. Or if I were you, I'd feel the same way. Hmm. Um, because and my, I say I'm Bob the builder relationally. Can I fix it? Yes. Yes, I can. <laughs> and my wife is Wendy. <laughs> and if people don't know who Bob and Wendy are from Bob the builder, don't learn, do not learn. It's torturous. <laughs> but if you do know, then you can, but she's a fixer too. And so here's an example of how it's applied. So um, I had been traveling a lot and I promoting the book and I was, ex- I came home after a long weekend and I was exhausted. And my wife says to me on that Monday, she could tell something was off with me. I was just a little different. And she goes, are you okay? And I went, I'm really tired. And to be honest, I'm a little depressed. Hmm. And she says, that's understandable. And it was the most soothing thing to hmm. my soul to go, you know what? If you feel this way, there's nothing wrong with you. You don't need to fix anything. You don't need to do anything differently. We don't need to get to the root of it necessarily. No, tell me, why are you depressed? You know, this was not the time. It was just, if you feel that way, that's okay. And the yeah. same thing with her. With, with her. So uh, another example of that, I I was tra- traveling, trying to get somewhere, and uh, there was a big snowstorm. This is a few months ago. There's a big snowstorm, and she's back at home, and we're we're trying to swap flights, and she's changing airlines, and I mean, we are tag teaming this whole situation because I am not. I'd never missed an event. I was not going to miss it, and I <laughs> missed it. Uh, oh, oh yeah. So I basically left at six, got home at ten thirty. Nothing was accomplished. Um, yeah, it was not a fun day. And so the next day, I just texted her and I said, "Hey, thanks for all your hard work." you know, doing that yesterday. She texts back. She goes, I have not been that anxious in a long time. It's official. I can never be on the amazing race. I would (laughs) burst into flames at some point. And so what I used to would have done would have felt bad that she had felt that way because I had made her feel that way. I'd have made it about me. I would have said something. Well, then not, next time I want to ask. The next, I'll just. Do, I'm sorry that I. I'm sorry that this stressed you out. Then I. I just won't ask next time. I guess I just need to handle. You know, I would have made it about me because yeah. I don't like making her nervous. I don't like making her anxious. I didn't like that I was the cause of that. But instead, since with these new learnings, uh, it was like, um, I am so sorry, but that is totally understandable. Yeah. She texts back, excellent response. <laughs> like I mean. We are new to the game on the sympathy thing, buddy. I mean, and it's become a joke because we're both like, she'll start in and she'll go, mm, that's understandable. Um, and we have teenage, uh, two teenage girls and lots of feelings. Yeah. Lots and lots of feelings. Uh, and this works for them too, by the yeah. way. Little side note, little yeah. extra is 
wow, that sounds, that's hard. I'm so sorry. I'm so, cause I want to fix, cause I'm a rescuer, right? Yeah, yeah, and men, sure. men tend to be, we tend to yeah. be, we want to rescue and it's a good thing. And it comes from a good place. And I think that is why we try to fix. I also think there's a, it comes from not so pure a place. Sometimes when we try to fix our spouse's emotions, it's because we don't like their emotions. They're hmm. inconvenient. They're confusing. They're overwhelming. They're poorly timed. And we're like, oh, here we go again. So the pure motive is we want to save you. The unpure motive is, oh, here we go again. Yeah. But it's just so, so, and it's so simple. I think that's the thing. Saying I'm, that's understandable um, is way easier than the opposite, right? Yeah. Um, and I just think you know, God's way isn't easy to, to live out, but it is easy to understand. And I love that. Yeah. The podcast listeners, they've heard me say this before, but it reminds me of we went did uh, some debriefing with our family, visited with a counselor, and my kids brought up that we were, as parents, we were uncomfortable with negative emotions. And so we would always want to fix it, reframe it, change it. And I think that same thing as you talked about in my marriage, um, I probably go to fixing it because it's uncomfortable and I want to, I don't, I'm uncomfortable with negative emotions myself. And so I want to change it rather than saying that's understandable. I just kind of want to move on and get past it and not allowing. And as you're talking about being empathetic and um, I'm sure that's something, something I, I brought into marriage. So you, you talked about being at North Point, one of my Andy Stanley quotes, I, I don't know, maybe you came up with it, he used it, I don't know, but you know, there's no marriage problems, but there are challenges and problems we bring into people bring into marriage. And um, this, this, as you talk about thought patterns, it just makes me think is, is couples come together, um, you know, that we bring those things together. And then you're on the mission field, which a lot, large portion of this uh, podcast listenership is there. And the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And um, and I think that's the one of the big values of your book is recognizing the um, the place of, of our mind and what's what's there and how we can take captive those thoughts. But it is very, very important. One last question for you. So uh, is there something you wish I would have asked or a question I should have asked uh, about your book or about your ministry or something? Think, man, I re- really wish Aaron would have talked about that. I don't, I don't think so. I, I just, this one's, this book has been different. This is book number three. And again, the experience is not a walk in the park unless a walk in the park is like months of torture. Then it's exactly <laughs> like a walk in the park. Um, <laughs> no, but this is one of those things where we have a marketing uh, department and, you know, our whole Christian faith is don't be self-promoting, don't be self-promoting. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you've got a marketing department going, you got to promote the book. Um <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, ugh, feels gross. But I do, Aaron, I really do want people to read this. Yeah. Um, I really do. I think it's full of stuff. You're like going, really? I can, my whole goal has always been this. People either read something that I do or come from some a retreat or whatever, or one night event and go, you know, that was fun. And I can do that. Like I have men that look at me, they'll go, ugh. Well, I can do that as opposed yeah. to the other things that maybe they've heard. But I just, that's the goal. I think, man, this could really matter. If I can help people get Fred out of their heads and they can yeah. have a really sense of who they are. I mean, that has, you know, I was, I cut and pasted so many times the story about the brain scans and all that. Like I was like, oh, are people going to go, you know, I came in with the generation. You didn't talk about counseling. You didn't talk about your feelings. Well, for sure. For sure. Or you were crazy. Like who would want to read a book written by a crazy person? This guy's crazy. Um, and what's been so funny, I was finally like, 
with the encouragement of my wife, just going, I'm just going to have to roll the dice on that. Yeah. And God's really honored that, that people have appreciated that. And so, um, and I think it's gotten to a group of people that have, you know, I had a 75 year old man who told me on a, at an event, corporate exec guy looks at me and he goes, my friend's been mean to me my whole life. Wow. And if I can help people do that, I think they become better spouses. And that's what this has to do with marriage. So I just, I do, I want them to, I want people to, to read it or just apply, just, just give it a shot. It, I promise, promise there is no negative backlash from trying, right? Like there's no, there's no way. Yeah. I appreciate your courage. I appreciate your vulnerability. I I appreciate your transparency um, and and encouraging us all to grow in our marriage, to understand the the power of the brain and and how, how it impacts our, how our thoughts impact our marriage. Ted, will you pray for us that God will use this um, and use these resources? We'll put links um, to, to your website and to the books um, um, in the show notes, but will will you pray for us as we end the podcast? Absolutely. God, I thank you so much for Aaron and his team and uh, the way they serve their listeners. And I especially want to pray for their listeners right now as they are serving you, uh, as they're having to be bold, as they're having to be brave. Um, I know it can be lonely. It can be isolating. It can be um, confusing. And then you compound that with the fact that people don't teach us how to be married. And I know it's got to be tough. And so as people are listening, God, I just pray the real sense of hope over them that they would feel like, yes, I can do some of these things. Yes, I do not have to fall victim to whatever my thoughts are thinking, that I can test and approve, as you tell us, to find out what's your good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I thank you for that. Thank you that you've not left us on our own when it comes to marriage. Thank you that you give us your word that's just so clear and that science doesn't confuse your word. It just makes it sharper and crisper for us to be able to apply, that you give us that crisp, application to what can be confusing God. And we're so thankful for your word and so thankful that you've not left us alone. Thank you for giving us away. Thank you for our spouses. Uh, what a gift. What a gift. Help us to love them well. And I pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.